I came from a low-income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GCD became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. Hi folks, how you doing? Um, thank you very much indeed for tuning in to another episode of my weekly podcast, Soundtracking with Edith Bowman. We're looking ahead to the next few weeks and just trying to work out what we can do, uh, what the conversation should be with regards to the strikes that are going on in the States and finding ways that we can incorporate or tell the stories that need to be told around that. So we're working behind the scenes on that. And if there is anything that you feel we should be talking about, then please do get in touch using info at edithbowman.com because I said last week, I think, on the show that we'd really like to try and explain uh, to the world or to the people who listen to this podcast, at least, the importance of the strikes and why they're happening and why they're important. So if you could think of anybody who might be a good spokesperson for that, then please do get in touch, info at edithbowman.com. Now, in a change to our build interview, which was supposed to be with Ludwig Gorenson following Christopher Nolan last week, it is on the way, but we are putting out uh, ahead of time my chat with Catherine Ferguson. And there's a very important reason for that. Catherine directed the Sinead O'Connor documentary, Nothing Compares, which very specifically concentrates on the tumultuous period in her life between 1987 and 1993, during which she became a global sensation, but also the victim of, well, a character assassination in the media, having spoken out against abuse in the Catholic Church. And in the way that life can throw you, you know, curveballs, and in a cruel, cruel twist of fate, Catherine and I spoke just three days before the devastating news of Sinead passing. But I've been in touch with Catherine because I wanted to speak to her about what the plans were with the film, but also how she felt about sharing our conversation. And we thought it timely that we shared the story of this beautiful, powerful and illuminating film. Now, I first saw Nothing Compares uh, end of last year, I think. It was on a very short cinematic release and it kind of just floored me, to be honest. Sinead, as an artist, was someone that I just, she kind of hypnotised me in a way. I just couldn't not watch her whenever she appeared on screen. Her music was kind of peppered throughout my, as I was discovering music, I guess, as well, and still feels really, really important. So when the opportunity to chat to Catherine came up around the release of the film onto uh, TVs, I, I jumped to the chance. And so I'm so grateful that we had the opportunity to chat about this. And I think because after our conversation, Sinead and her story were so clear in my head after speaking with Catherine, when the news hit, it was it was like a sucker punch, to be honest. But I'm really I don't know, I'm really proud that we're able to share this episode with you. And so let's get to the wonderful Catherine and there's really only one place to begin. It's been seven hours and fifteen days Since you took your love away 
Catherine, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Sorry, I'm a few minutes late. Oh, don't worry. Just... Thank you for getting up and doing it so early for me and such quick turnaround as well. Really appreciate Hello. it. Oh, no, it's fantastic. Thanks for being interested in it. It's really cool. Where did the journey start for you with regards to I want to make this film and how do I make it and where do I start? Well, <laughs> it's quite a story, but, um, you know, basically I was introduced to Sinead when I was very young um, through my dad. So he would have played the lion and the cobra on repeat as we drove around uh, Belfast, where I'm from, in the rain a, a, a lot of the time, <laughs> with the rain pelting the windows and the lion and the cobra just belting out of the car. And it just became this like really visceral soundtrack to my really early childhood. It was just always being played in our family. And then in the early 90s, when I was a very young teenager, uh, my friends and I felt like we discovered her for a second time. Um, and by that point, we could really like see how she looked and appreciate what she was saying. Um, and of, of course, as well, loved the music passionately. But we're yeah. just so, so proud to have this icon from our own island um, that we could admire. However, it felt as soon as we kind of found her in the early 90s was only a year or so before the horrendous backlash took place in 1992, 93. And um, for me and my friends, you know, it was just a really demoralizing thing to go through as young yeah. Irish girls to see this person that we really looked up to um, just being absolutely annihilated um, in the press and on this global scale. So that's really where it all started because it made such an impact on me at such an important age. And then I was I started making films in my 20s in, in the noughties and I went back and did a master's at the Royal College of Art in 2011. And when I was there, I made a film called Mather, uh, which is Gaelic for Mother. And it was an experimental short that um, was starting to unpick some of the themes that are in Nothing Compares. And I could think of no one more uh, whose music I desperately wanted to use for this score than Sinead's. And um, I very cheekily reached out to her managers at the time in 2011 and said, would there be any way that I could get access to the stems to work with the composer to deconstruct them for this experimental short? And um, it was actually Faulkner O'Kelly, uh, her manager at the time. Um, he agreed and he said, all right, go wild and do Amazing. what you want. And I got to do that for this short. Um, 
And I sent the short to them, not expecting to hear anything back. And I don't know if I did even hear anything back for a year or so. But then they did get back in touch in 2012 and asked me to direct um, a music video for Sinead for her track, Fourth and Vine. And I think that would have been her first music video, I think, in 15 years. Wow. I know, I know. That must have felt amazing, though, to kind of like, I mean, how did you feel when you got, when that ask was was presented to you considering that relationship that you had with personally with her music and yeah. her imagery her storytelling you know all of that I was ecstatic <laughs> <laughs> totally ecstatic and terrified and excited and over the flipping moon to be honest I'm gonna put my pink dress on and do my hair up tight I'm gonna put some eyeliner on I'm gonna look real nice Going down to the church on Fourth and Vine. I'm gonna marry my love, and we'll be happy for all time. Yeah, he's the sweetest man you could find. So gentle and so kind, and he's got those big brown eyes. I can't believe me luck is mine. Not that he's no wuss, girls, you know his love is serious. So, um. I got to then meet her. I got to spend like three days with her in Dublin and then we shot the film in um, in County Meath in Ireland. And I got to meet her and I got to meet uh, the kind of team around her, including John Reynolds, who's obviously a big part of Nothing Compares. And really that's where that relationship um, began. And I kept very much in touch with John over the years um, about various projects and things. And, you know, we remained close and... Um, you know, I suppose what the meeting, you know, what, what the, you know, the meeting in 2012, 2013, uh, what it did for me is it just completely reminded me of like all of these feelings I'd had, these powerful feelings I'd had as a teenager and to stoke the fires further in me and reminded me of her story and what she meant to me. But the mm. difference being in my 20s then I had the tool of film you know I had this yeah. this way of expressing what I was feeling and thought my god I want to try and tell this story but that was 2013 and I was really just getting going with my work at that point so it took another five years until I um, managed to actually meet uh, the film's co-writers and co-producers Michael Malley and Elmer Emptage and I found my team, people Amazing. who are up for it and willing to take it on with me. So that's a convoluted answer to your question. No, but it's beautiful because it really kind of cements your connection with, with heart and with, you know, you can feel that. You can feel that drive for truth and authenticity and, and kind of almost sort of giving her a voice, really. Do you know what I mean? That she never really had the opportunity to have in those times to address all that press coverage and just kind of you know where it came from as well and it feels so pertinent to now you know in terms of where we are with um with our media and with the way that it's kind of um you know it almost kind of has an agenda against people sometimes you feel mm-hmm. um and I kind of I remember kind of not really understanding why everybody was being so mean to her I remember MTV generation, you know, of kind of when my mom and dad got MTV and that video was the thing that I remember as being the kind of the the visual representation of that time for me of kind of going, oh, my God, I can see music as well as hearing it now through these these videos. And and she was such a big part of that. 
When you were thinking about the film then, how much kind of rested on being able to get a sit-down chat with her and being able to have her voice now in it, in a kind of reflective mode? And how did you approach her about that and what was her kind of response? Sure. Um, well, I suppose at the very beginning, way back in 2018 when we started it, we thought we could possibly Frankenstein lots of interviews yeah. and, uh, you know, prior, uh, yeah, just interviews that existed out in the world already, radio interviews, talk shows. We, we thought we could Frankenstein it because we just thought maybe we can do this without having to ask anything of her or too much of her however as we got going um, and, and, and of course we could have done that yeah but we were then um through John very happily granted this interview in 2019 and we obviously jumped at the chance and by that point we had started putting down you know we, we already knew exactly what we wanted to say in the narrative um, and what we wanted to ask Sinead and what we weren't ever planning to do was a biopic you know a birth to today story which would be exhausting to interview somebody for her it would be exhausting to be interviewed about we just wanted to talk about this era mm. and this time and what the hell happened during those five years it was a very focused approach to an interview um, and yeah we were granted this interview and it took place over a long weekend in Dublin at the end of 2019 and really um, you know it, it is the film actually we hadn't quite realised prior to doing it just how important it would be I mean mm. just to have her telling her story from this contemporary viewpoint you know with all this hindsight on what on, on what went on it was just everything and I suppose for me what really became clear when I heard the interview was just, you know, just how potent it was to have this, you know, have her telling her story, you know, in the cinematic format where viewers can't leave or, you know, hopefully don't yeah. get up and leave for 97 minutes, just hearing her tell you what happened to her. This is somebody, as you say, who's had her voice hugely reduced by the media, often mocked. And yeah, just very, very, it's been very reductive treatment of her voice. So to have her voice is this crystal clear bell-like sound that just takes you through this whole 97 minute story uh, was everything. But we didn't even realise how much it would be until we did it. Because it is that thing where, you know, her, her childhood is so... It's all joy. It's all linked. It's all it kind of part of her story. And we crave our idols to shout and talk about the things that that are important. That's why they are idols and heroes, because they are they've got that platform and they use it in a way that is helping others. And that's what it all that's what I feel the film really does and celebrates is the fact that that's all she was trying to do, really, was kind of get a conversation going and and talk about things that nobody else had the balls to talk about or address or shine a light on sort of thing as well. Um, that wasn't really a question, sorry. That was just a, an observation no, but, no, about but it's, it's so true. And it's just, you know, I suppose in today's world, you know, so many uh, celebrities are very active, which is great. But, you know, you got to remember back in 92, <laughs> there was nothing cool or sexy about what Sinead O'Connor was talking about. It was a horrendous, brutal truth mm -hmm. about abuse of power in yeah. the church, one of the, these powerful institutions. And people just did not know what to do with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was they wanted like, to get her back in a box. That was the whole thing is kind of like literally. You know, quiet. Yeah, basically. 
Yeah, and she was a good couple of years before that horrendous scandal broke across the world and the truth all came out about what had been happening in the church. And yeah. she she was a canary in the coal mine, you know, she yeah. and she got absolutely pummeled for it. It's such a weird question, but what was she like to sit down and chat to? She's just very, you know, amazingly reflective. Um, I thought the interview, she was very uh, astute and... Um, I think we just had a really amazing, you know, authentic um, interview from her, really. You know, I'm yeah. so glad. We, we only got the one. It was only the one that we had. It was a couple of hours. And uh, wow. yeah, that's all we got. And we didn't go back for more or ask anything more of her. We just wanted to have this one interview uh, so that she could be telling her own story in her own words. And um yeah, I mean, you know, it it was a, a brief, a brief interview, but I think it said everything that we needed it to say. And then you have all this amazing footage as well, some of which, you know, I've I've seen, but loads of things that you've unearthed and and discovered. Was that that's that must be such a a kind of hard work, but a brilliant part of of this type of filmmaking. You know, in terms of when you are trying to find the kind of you know the historical footage to to either back up or contradict what she's saying, you know, to kind of um, to help tell the story um, in, in that kind of visual way. What was that kind of journey like in terms of finding things and unearthing things that you, you know, that were a, a beautiful surprise or, yeah. Totally. Well, the way we uh, put our film together is we we actually got our funding through all the national funds. So it was like Screen Ireland, Northern Ireland Screen, the BFI Doc Society and Field Division came in from New York. So we had... The way we funded it was in little clumps the whole, you know, over like a three year period um, until we could get into the edit properly. So every time we got a little amount of money, we brought in our amazing um, archive producer, Joe Stones, um, who would come in and spend maybe a couple of weeks or a month just like deep diving through all of the archives of the world to try and mine for these Sinead gems. And really by the time we started our edit in 2021, I think really she'd exhausted all of what was uh, officially out there. But when things got really exciting was in 2021, when we started to do our contributor interviews um, with a lot of the people that appear in the film, like friends and family and people that were actually there at the time. Mm. And we would suddenly would be sent on these like wild goose chases because someone would be like, oh, I've heard there's this guy in America who's got this box of tapes in his cupboard. You've got to reach out to him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any contacts, but I'm sure I can put you in someone who might. And we went on these like wild journeys to try and <laughs> uncover these um these gems and even I, I remembered um when I was at the Royal College of Art Dick Joel the uh, artist was um the tutor of a friend of mine and I knew that he'd shot loads of footage of the 80s of Lee Bowery's club and um, Kinky Gerlinki in the 80s and, and we'd worked out that Sinead had played there a few times and he, we managed to reach out to Dick. He's like, oh, yeah, I've got all of these performances of Sinead playing in this club that have never been God. seen before. And this is really late. This was like a month before locking the edit. And it's that stunning uh, performance where she comes in in the club and sings a Cole Porter song, um, you, uh, you Do Something To Me. Me. 
it was just unbelievable uncovering gems wow. like that. But of course, our edit was like nearly locked at that point. <laughs> Every time we got something in, we we're like, Christ, can we like reshuffle the edit to try and squeeze these things in? And every time we were like, yes, <laughs> we are going to reshuffle because these are it's just exquisite, never seen before. Absolute gems of, of footage of her. And I particularly love the um, the recording studio, you know, the rehearsal space, 19, 1985, the yeah. footage of her in 1985 with hair, you know, rehearsing with the band uh, that she went on to do The Lion and the Cobra with. I mean, it's just yeah. unbelievable scene. You kind of feel like so privileged to get to yeah. see, yeah, those moments. Like you're kind of like kind of peering through the door almost in a way. It's so brilliant. And even the the wedding footage of a 15-year-old Sinead O'Connor saying, well, you don't actually see her because the videographer at that wedding in early yeah. 80s didn't actually point the camera at her, but you can hear her singing Evergreen by Barbra Streisand. And it's just... Oh, you can just hear the voice. It hasn't yeah. changed. You can just hear the voice. Oh. <laughs> when it came to the sound of the film as well, you know, you've obviously yes. got those moments of her, the you know, brilliant performances, and and her music is is you know is is um is clearly part of is a character and part of the narrative of the film sort of thing. But but when it came to score and working with Irene and Linda, you know, in terms of their work and how they would complement each other. Did you know what you needed? Did you? How did that work? What was the kind of journey of of the score with it? It was quite, yeah, it was quite a convoluted journey. Um, in that Mick Mahon, uh, the film's editor, is amazingly musical as well. He actually used to play in lots of bands at the same time in Dublin as when Sinead was getting going. So oh, knew man. knew that world so well. And he was such an integral part to the film in general. But um, I suppose we started with a temp score uh, at the very beginning of our edit. You know, we started to put bits in and um, which is tricky because, of course, then you start to fall in love with temp score, which is always the very uh, tricky, tricky thing when making a film. Um, but yeah, he just uh, he had very nuanced air, uh, especially for getting the emotional beats um, just right. So we had a real sense uh, even at that stage of where mm. we were going to take it uh, musically. And it had to be, yes, as you say, it had to like absolutely complement um, and sit in with Sinead's music, which works, you know, the every track that features in our film is almost like a biographical beat in itself that takes yeah. you into the, into the story. So it was a real dance trying to um, make uh, everything work together. Um, when Linda and Irene came on board, um, I suppose uh, towards you know the last four or five months of the film, they just did an unbelievably brilliant job then of taking what we had, which was a lot of their music to be fair. Mick had actually included, um, I'd say eighty percent of the temp score was the Buckleys, right. and they they were going back trying to. You know, I suppose uh, bring something new to it and uh, re reconstruct uh, their own music um, in ways that made sense to them as, as as composers. So there was just it was just a constant tweaking and uh, collaboration of just it's just so much of it was about the emotion, as it always is with uh, scores. But um, really, you know, so much of our films about grief and uh, and uh, and what she went through. So it was just so. It was just so nuanced and mm. um, 
emotionally led, I think. And for me as a director, I just had, I knew exactly what I wanted every second of our film to feel like. So it was trying to illustrate that sonically in between her tracks was a real, um, you know, it was a real creative exploration, but it, yeah. was, it was it was amazing. And they're so unbelievably talented, the Buckleys. Um, so it was, it was a joy. Why was it, why, why were the Buckleys? Just, um, I think Mick actually introduced me to the Buckleys group of sisters I mean they're just amazing and they were just making this amazing it just felt like a very contemporary um take uh I suppose um as composers I just hadn't really heard anything like it before Mm -hmm. I loved that they were sisters and they worked together they were obviously huge Sinead fans felt you know grown up the same time as me and it felt just exactly the same feelings about Sinead growing up so there was just a real connection um over that and I just I really wanted it to be women <laughs> that scored yeah. it felt uh this felt like a really natural um progression uh so we yeah the Buckleys were fabulous it's just right on so many levels as well and it I love how you know it's her music's her music's so kind of powerful and and connects with you and yeah. And I love, but I, and, and an easy option would have been to almost kind of for the score to be almost like an instrumental version of that. And yeah. it's so not. And yeah. I love that. I love that you, that it's, that it's kind of deliberately not, but it really has such an emotive kind of, it, it's almost kind of like, you know, once you hear a song and you realize how you feel about it or the hairs on your arms are standing on end or whatever, it's almost like the kind of musical equivalent of that. Well, that's beautiful to hear. Yeah. And actually so much of, and thinking back, because I'm just trying to go back through the, yes. the mists of my memory, <laughs> but so much of the Buckleys was actually the, the, how, how they use their voices Yeah, um, in a similar way to Sinead. Mm. It's this, it's the, um, and a big thing with Sinead's music, I'd say, is this idea of keening, you know, how Irish uh, women traditionally uh would have keened cried uh in a in, in a in a song and you know keening was something that would have been done at funerals a bit like women in, in the middle east would do you know yeah. it's, uh, throwing their voices and that's what we would have done uh, historically in ireland and i just have always felt like so much of sinead's music is a king and i think that's why it probably emotionally cuts through and reaches people because mm. they can emotionally resonate with what they're hearing because it's this really authentic sound that's coming out of her, and I think the Buckleys um, do that too with their yeah. with that with their voices actually, um, but then bring in all of these amazing and um, quite hard uh, synthy uh, tracks and everything as well. So it's a contemporary take uh, on 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 that. Um, so it just felt like a contemporary response, I think, to 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 Sinead's music. So it yeah. just yeah, it just felt very organically that it that would, would work. Yeah, it really works. I um, I I remember after um seeing the film being in the car and like putting on um, uh, Mandinka straight away and kind <laughs> of just like screaming along, and I felt amazing afterwards. It was like, yeah, oh, let it out, let it go. Yeah. It was like, oh, it was yeah. so great, so she, good. She evokes a lot of car sing screams. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, a lot of people have said that. Absolutely. <laughs> Did you did she watch the film once if she has she seen it? She hasn't seen it. Well, not as far as I know. She was yeah. offered to see it um before it was released, um, but politely uh declined. She said she didn't want to have to yeah. uh watch it all again. But she's yeah. been amazingly supportive of it. And um yeah, she's just been a huge support this past year and a half. 
with it and that just feels bloody brilliant to yeah. be honest um and fair dooster for not wanting to sit through it again yeah I absolutely I wouldn't want to sit through my no. life thank you very much but um she's very behind it you know we had her blessing from the start and yeah she's just been amazing really a huge support and it, I don't know, it feels like, you know, she, was it this year she had that album out? No, when, um, um, the, the yeah, newest she, one's coming out at the start of 2024. Amazing. And it's with David Holmes. David Holmes produced wow. it. And on the grapevine, I've not heard it yet, but friends I had have heard it um, have said it's extraordinary. Oh, man, I can't wait. I think that you know you, your film does so many things, Catherine. It's sort of it's a it's a beautiful and brilliant piece of work. But I think it also just like I said, I think at the start of that thing of kind of being a kind of you know giving her giving giving her a voice, almost the equivalent of having like a defence lawyer in a court, you know, in a court drama of kind of going, well, no, you know, it's it's just it's so great, and I felt so angry afterwards as well, watching it in terms of how she was how she was treated and how unfairly she was treated. And I just think you've done a beautiful draw job of righting so many wrongs through the film. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no, well, it just, I mean, the anger you feel in it, a lot of it is my anger as well. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I think it's for all of us. We just have always felt there was a huge injustice done to her. And it's often repeated and repeated with many women. And it yeah. just, this is from such a crystal clear um, example of how awful patriarchy is and, you know, how much they desperately needed to silence her because mm. here was a 25 year old woman. I mean, she was so young in 1993, speaking up about things that were so important and needed to be heard. Mm. And she caused that much anger and fury that they had to shut her down. They yeah. obviously deemed her somewhat dangerous. She was that famous and that popular and was saying things that people just could not hear. And they shut her down. And I just think when people, yeah, people watch the film now, um, there's a lot of tears, there's a lot of rage. Yeah. But I think what's been so fabulous is that people seem to come out really galvanized and want to transform that anger into some you know, into positive action. Because yeah. I think when you see she was on the right side of history, everything she said was completely the yeah. truth. And she she did everything right. What was done to her was what was wrong. I think it's a big reminder that you just have to use your flipping voice to speak about the about the power of it, yeah. no matter what the consequences are, because it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. And I think it's a big reminder in that. And I'm just so thankful that it's now coming full circle. And you know, and the most satisfying, honestly, it was so brilliant when the film it, it was released um on TV in America in uh September on Showtime. Yeah. And when they were doing the promo for that, um we I was I was like pro I was walking in the woods with my three-year-old and somebody sent me a, a photo and they're like, have you seen this? I was like, what? And it was a massive billboard of Sinead's face in Times Square. Oh. <laughs> and of course I didn't flip and know what was happening. And um they, you know, and then I was just thinking, oh my God, like the last time her image would even have appeared in Times Square was when they were steamrolling over her albums yeah. in 1992. Oh my God. After Saturday Night Live. Yeah. 30 years ago, nearly to the week. It was bizarre timing. 
And then there she was on this massive billboard just staring out. That's amazing. That's so great. It was so good. I was like, there she is, the Phoenix (laughs) from the Flames. You did that. You did that. Well, well, she she did. But it was just very satisfying. It was like, and there there she's back where she should be. So, um, yeah, it's been a real privilege. It's been great. I'm so glad that it's it's kind of, you know, getting a, a TV release here as well so as many people yes. as possible can see it so it's, it's absolutely brilliant it's what's next do you know what's next well I'm just finishing a film at the minute actually um I'm working on a new film with a couple of the nothing compares team again um it's actually about uh, the, the golden age of Hollywood and censorship oh, wow. so it's completely different um it's a commission um with Universal so uh yeah in the final edit on that over the next few months so that should be out next year so yeah I'll come back and chat about that then when that gets released please it'd be so great to chat to you again listen before you go I wanted to start to do this thing of trying to get just recommendations from from people and it can be anything you know it could be book music film tv theater anything have you got three recommendations that you could throw my way on anything I mean you've probably been like deep in a dark basement edit for the past so you're you're, but the last three things that have really connected with you whether it's you know a piece of music or or a yeah anything anything creative really yeah well okay um there's a book of short stories by one of my favorite uh female Belfast writers um Wendy Erskine um called Dance Move. That's a really good uh, book of short stories to read and a really contemporary take on Northern Ireland um, post-troubles and uh, the, the culture that we're living in now. So that's definitely a, a book to get your hands on. Theatre. I haven't had the chance to go to the theatre in so long, apart from bringing my three-year-old to Hey Dougie. So I, I, I live out It's got to be creative for the kids too. <laughs> I know, I know. So um, theatre, I haven't got anything as much as I wish I did. What else was I think? I mean, films, I mean, the film definitely that touched me and I think touched everybody the most this year was After Sun because I just thought it was exquisitely done and has inspired me no end. Uh, And I actually, yeah, I'm I'm planning on starting to work on a a drama idea myself. So that's really really inspired me uh, hugely and yeah I recommend that uh, more than anything crikey what else I love um Lancome's uh, music I think uh, another Irish another Great. Irish band, but I just think uh what they're doing at the minute is absolutely exquisite as well um <laughs> perfect there you go that's your three that's awesome <laughs> that's so great I'm gonna go and buy the dance move and read dance yeah. move Yes, it's brilliant. We're about to go on a road trip on Scotland for a week, so I'm like, oh, perfect. Fabulous. Yeah. Perfect. perfect. Headed over to yeah. Isla to get some good old fresh oh, air. And, wow. Yeah. That's, I'm planning on doing that in the autumn, actually. I yeah. We're going to, we're in Margate, so yeah, we're hoping to do a, a blast as, as far as we can up, oh, up north. Yeah. Um, Isla is exactly where I want to go, actually. I'll let you know um, any tips whilst we're up there. Please do. Of course I will. Thanks so much. It's so great to chat to you. You And um, I really appreciate you kind of, you know, coming on at such short notice as well. It's been absolutely brilliant. And um, yeah, I hope to chat to you again soon, Catherine. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. That's lovely. Bye. See ya.
line and the cobra that's the classic mandinka by Sinead o'connor rounding off this latest episode of soundtracking with the wonderful Catherine ferguson my huge thanks to Catherine for taking the time to talk to us and also for agreeing that we should release this episode of the podcast considering that we spoke only days before the passing of Sinead. Nothing compares, her extraordinary film is available to watch on different places around the world, Showtime in the States and here in the UK. Uh, I know it's on Sky TV and now, um, but if you just seek it out, you will find it and you will find it incredibly rewarding because if you're not aware of Sinead's story and you're only aware of it through headlines, please go and watch this film because it tells her story. It's an incredibly important piece of filmmaking. Catherine also mentioned After Sun there, and you can listen to my chat with writer-director Charlotte Wells by heading to edithbowman.com, where you can also listen to every single other episode of our WE podcast. Uh, As I said at the start, if there's anyone that you think would be a really good spokesperson to come on and talk to us about the strikes and kind of get get the story out there then please do get in touch we are info at edithbowman.com you can also follow us on facebook instagram and twitter we are at soundtracking uk and please do follow us on our youtube channel as well next up as promised we're going to bring you my chat with the wonderful ludwig Gorenson talking about Oppenheimer. i very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then (laughs) 